Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for your many blessings. Thank you for the living hope that we just sang about that is made possible because of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we open up your word today, give us ears to hear, uh, eyes to see, and receptive hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In May, our family was out in Southern California because Amy had graduated from Hope International University, and so I took that opportunity for us to stay as close to the beach as we could afford, which was about a couple blocks away. It wasn't this close, uh, as the picture shows, but we were a couple blocks away, and every opportunity I had, I drug her and her best friend who came out, and Ted, I drug them to the beach, because I just love the ocean, to hear the waves, I just wanted to experience it. And so a couple of different times, Ted and I went swimming in the ocean, and just had a blast. We had some body boards, you know, catching the waves, doing all sorts of fun things like that. But what I noticed very quickly, and if you've swam in the ocean before, you'll notice it, is that you begin to start here, and soon you're not paying attention, and you end up here. Anybody experienced that in the ocean before? You're tracking with me, right? And so what I told Ted is I said, okay, here's a lifeguard station. You remember the number because without my glasses on, I can't see anything. And we're going to make sure that we are continually aligned with the lifeguard station. So we'll go out, we'll play, we'll ride the waves, we'll look at the dolphins as they're swimming by. We'll have all kinds of fun, but, but we want to continually realign ourselves with the lifeguard station. This is the lifeguard station. And this is important because if we weren't paying attention, we would have ended up in San Diego. And so we always had to come back. We always had to fight our way back to make sure we were aligned so we did not drift. Because it's so easy to start in one place and end up in a completely different place. And this is the whole idea around the passage that we're going to look at today about Jesus' interaction and the subsequent parable that he talks about in Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me, otherwise it's up on the screen here as well. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has this dialogue. It says here, verse 23, when Jesus returned. Okay, let's just pause there. When Jesus returned to the temple, what do you mean he returned to the temple? That means he had to be there already, right? If he's returning, he had been there. Let's catch ourselves up a little bit. If you have your Bibles, you can see in front of you, chapter 21 begins, it says in my Bible, there's a heading, the triumphal entry. We're in the last week of Jesus' life. We're in his most critical time where he has directed himself towards the cross. The teachings that he gives in this final week, we need to pay special and close attention to. Then in verse 12, he goes in and he clears the temple. He comes in, I should say, in the triumphal entry. And again, the people are saying, Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? God save. 
God save us. And then he goes into the temple. He begins to clear the temple. And so it says he returns now in verse 23 to the temple. After he had come into the city, after he had cleared the temple, he comes back and he returns. And he began teaching. The leading priest and the elders came up to him and they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Now this seems like a pretty benign question. It seems like a common sense question. You know, when you and I go to uh, have a surgery... Don't you want to know that the person has the authority and the credentials to do your surgery? You know, you don't want the person's sign on their wall to say that they are credentials through Joe's hack and whack. You know, you want them to have credentials from Mayo Clinic, from the Cleveland Clinic, from John Hopkins University. You don't want just anything. You want to know by what authority they have to do that. When you go visit your financial advisor, right now especially, as you look at your 401ks, you want to ask them, what authority do you have? What credentials do you have? You know, and if they're running a Ponzi scheme or if they've lost millions of dollars, you might want to think about going someplace differently. Even this church, I am sure, when we interviewed Monty, we asked him, Monty, what authority do you have? What are your credentials? What were you taught? And he was able to share that he was a graduate of Ozark Christian College. Okay, check, reputable, we trust them, we know them. He went to Denver Seminary. Okay, uh, check, we know that's a solid seminary. He has the right credentials. He has the right authority to be a pastor at this church. So it seems pretty benign, but there's more to this question. So we're told already that these religious leaders were seeking a way to trap Jesus. They were plotting a way, it actually says, to kill Jesus. So this was not a benign question like it sounds like on the surface. There is something more going on. They are trying to ask him a question so that he'll trip up, so that they can get him in trouble, and even more so that they can kill him. They're really trying to find out if Jesus is the Messiah. See, he's been doing Messiah things. Coming in like he did the triumphal entry when the people are saying, Hosanna, that's a Messiah thing. Going and clearing the temple, the only person who would have the authority to do that would be a Messiah. That's a Messiah thing. He's been doing the Messiah. Now, you and I watch enough cop shows, so when you watch a cop show, they never come out and say, did you murder that person, do they? That's not the question they ask. They ask all these little questions to try to trick you and to trap you until eventually they can point the finger at you and say, you did it. That's what this question is. This is a question to try to trick them and to trap them so they can look at Jesus and say, you did it. You are the Messiah. And if Jesus would fall into their trick and their trap and say he is the Messiah, then they could say that's blasphemy and they could kill him. This is no benign question. But Jesus was not fooled. And Jesus is not fooled today. Scripture says God is not mocked. Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're trying to get at. 
he realizes this is a setup, and ultimately it is not about his authority. They are not concerned about the authority of Jesus. You see, what they had begun to do was they had begun to drift, to drift, just like we did in the ocean. And so Jesus begins to ask some questions. He asks a a very strategic question that gets to the heart of what they're trying to get at here. He says in verse 24, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? One of the challenges of leadership today is to ask better questions. Jesus was brilliant at asking questions. And in this question, Jesus cuts to the heart of the issue and he cuts to their hearts and what's really going on in their hearts because Jesus knows they're not really concerned about his authority. And Jesus in his question is implying that his authority comes from the same place that John's authority comes from. And so if they will say John's authority comes from God, then they also must say that Jesus' authority comes from God because John called Jesus the Messiah at his baptism. You see, there's more going on here. Verses 25 and following, it says, They talked it over amongst themselves. These priests, these elders, they talked it over. And they said, if we say it's from heaven, if John has authority from heaven, Jesus will ask us why we didn't believe John. And if we say it's merely human, we'll be mobbed because the people believe John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. You see, their lack of response shows that they weren't interested in the truth. If they were interested in the truth of Jesus, his authority, they were really interested in it. They would answer the question so that they could get the right teaching on it. But they're not interested in the truth. They're trying to set up a trap. And the main thing they don't want to do at this point is they don't want to look foolish in front of all the people. You see, again, if they would accept John's authority then that means they would have to accept that they refused to repent when John had called them to repent. It means that they truly were the brood of vipers that John calls them. It means that they would be incriminating themselves in the death of John because they did not speak up. And they also did not want to reject John because the Gospel of Luke says that they feared the crowd would stone them. You see, these religious leaders weren't interested in the truth. They were just looking for a way to kill Jesus. And these leaders stood in the same long line of religious leaders who had rejected God's prophets and thereby rejected God. You see, they had drifted. They had drifted just like we did in the ocean. And now, instead of their focus being on Jesus, their focus is on themselves, their own power, their control. They weren't concerned about the truth. So Jesus begins to tell this parable. In my Bible, it says a parable of two sons. 
That's really not quite accurate. It's really a parable of judgment on the priest and the elders. And Jesus says this, but what do you think about this? He says in verse 28, a man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work the vineyards today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? And they replied, the first. They replied, the first. You see, the first answer that these boys gave was meaningless. What mattered was their actions. So Jesus explained the meaning of this parable. He says, I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. You see, he says this first son is like the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes. At first they say no to God, but when they hear what is right, when they hear repent for the kingdom of God is near, they align themselves with God and they go and do what is right. And he said, you religious leaders and elders, you are like the second son, who you say all the right things, but you have drifted so far away that your hearts are so far from God. You see, they had drifted so far away that even when they saw sinners respond and change their ways, they still did not believe. When they saw that lives were being changed, when they saw how people repented and believed, they still did not believe. You see, these elders and religious teachers, they were untouched by the evidence of transformed lives because they did not, in fact, care about the people and their relationship with God. Why? Because they had drifted. They had drifted slowly but surely. They had drifted. They said yes to God at one point, but then they drifted and drifted and drifted. And here's the reality I want you to know today. All you have to do to drift is nothing. All you have to do to drift is nothing. When Ted and I were out in the ocean on our body boards, watching the waves and watching the dolphins, all that, all we had to do to drift down, to drift down, was nothing. We didn't have to do anything. Just go with the flow. Just slowly drift, and you get so far away that you cannot see God anymore. Here's the second reality. All you have to do to be the second son is nothing. All you have to do to be the second son who says yes to God at the beginning and then doesn't follow through is nothing. All you have to drift is nothing. And here's the reality for us today, believers, is that our default setting is drifting. Our default setting in life is to drift, is to drift. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which is a fascinating book that really looks at um, demons who are trying to turn followers of Jesus away. And in this book, 
It talks about all we have to do is we have to turn believers into critics instead of pupils. It says that there's an apprentice devil that has the task of luring a new churchgoer to perdition. Attending church, his devil superior reassures him, is not necessarily the death knell for the hellish cause. In fact, the apprentice might turn his victim's church attendance to the devil's advantage. How? The trick will be to get him involved into things like church politics, zealously attached to some party within the congregation, not on real important issues like doctrinal matters, mind you, but indifferent things. And when this happens, the worshiper begins to make himself the judge rather than the student. He assumes for himself the authority to criticize rather than to learn. Now you've got him speaking the words of these chief priests. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you that authority? You see, all you have to do to drift is nothing. Nothing. All you have to do is let laziness take in. Let complacency and apathy continue to grow. Just let that sin, let it sink in and don't do anything about it. That, that uh, shame that you're carrying, uh, just, just carry that. That fear, that guilt, you know, just allow that to continue to allow you to drift. And this is what had happened to the religious leaders of the day. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this, is will you allow Jesus to confront you in areas of your life where you've been like the second son, where you've been drifting? You see, when you examine your life and look at your life to see, am I aligned with Jesus Christ or have I drifted? Will you allow Jesus, put that up there again, will you allow Jesus to confront areas of your life? Will you allow him to speak into these areas of your life where maybe you have just slowly but subtly drifted? Let me give you some signs of drifting. This is how you know you might be drifting in your life. You might be drifting if you are pulling back rather than pressing in. If in your life right now you find yourself pulling back from church, from church attendance, if you find yourself pulling back from being with fellow believers, if you find yourself pulling back from reading God's word or being in prayer, rather than pressing in, you might be drifting. If you find yourself more cynical than hopeful, you might be drifting. You see, you look all around the world at you today and you're just cynical. You see all the issues that are going on and you're just cynical to everything. If you find yourself more cynical than hopeful, you might be drifting. Because as followers of Jesus, our hope is on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. We have a hope that is secure in heaven if we put our faith in him. We don't need to be cynical about what's happening around us. We know that God wins in the end. You might be drifting if you find yourself yielding to temptation rather than fighting and resisting temptation. You might be drifting if you are choosing to conform to the patterns of this world rather, being, rather than being transformed by the word of God. 
You might be drifting if you see in your life that you are just looking like everything else in the world. Amy and I have been reading a book together called uh, Seeking God, and he talks about in there, talking with a, a therapist, and the therapist said, in my practice, I see no difference in the thinking and the actions between non-Christians and Christians. We have drifted. We have drifted. You might be drifting if you find yourself competing and comparing rather than celebrating others. You see, church, if we begin to compete, compete and compare with a church down the road, we are drifting. The church down the road is not our competition. The gates of hell are our competition. That should get an amen, shouldn't it? Because if that's not an amen, we have drifted. If that church down the road, we see them reaching people and doing things, and we're like, we're better than them. Our building's newer than theirs. We have better carpet than that. Our minister's smarter than them. We have drifted. See, we should be celebrating that church and collaborating with the church down the road. If we're more concerned about the opinions of others than the opinion of God, we have drifted. If we're more concerned about my will than God's will, we have drifted. And we've lost sight of that lifeguard station a long time ago. And here's the reality. It's not like we have to do something bad or sinful. You simply have to do nothing to drift. Our default setting is to drift. And this applies to our spiritual life. It applies to our finances. It applies to our fitness. It applies to so many areas of our life. And so church, we need to anchor ourselves then in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6.19 says that Jesus is the anchor for our souls. And in this day and age, when there are incredible winds and currents and change and torments around us, where there are things that try to push us around all the time, we live in a time of social and moral and political and economic environmental change, things that are trying to cause us to drift, we need to anchor ourselves on Jesus. We need to come back. the point. We need to anchor ourselves, continually come back. We can't anchor ourselves in our jobs. We can't anchor ourselves in our spouses. We can't anchor ourselves in our kids. We can't anchor ourselves in religion. We have to anchor ourselves in Jesus Christ. Now here's the other reality. You can't just put an anchor down anywhere. Because if your anchor isn't attached to anything, guess what? You're still going to drift. Your anchor has to be attached to a solid foundation. It has to be attached to the bedrock, to solid ground. My little church growing up, we used to sing this hymn, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. And so church, we must continually keep our eyes on Jesus. We must continually keep our eyes 
on Jesus. And when the storms of this life, when the fear, when the shame and the guilt try to push us off track, we need to recalibrate ourselves just like Ted and I did in the ocean. We need to recalibrate ourselves to what is right and true and what we can stand on and what is that firm foundation in our lives. We must anchor ourselves there. I must continually be in line with Jesus. Because my default in my life, and I know the default in your life, is to drift so far away that you lose track of where Jesus is. And that is what's happened to the religious leaders here in this text. They had drifted so far away that they could not see God when he was right in front of them. They could not see God when he was right in front of them. See, when the tax collectors and sinners, when they heard the right way to live, when John preached, repent for the kingdom of God is near, they aligned themselves with God. They kept their eyes on Jesus Christ. He became their author and their perfecter of their faith. They had experienced Jesus and they were aligning themselves with Jesus. They were advocating Jesus. They were telling other people about Jesus. They were telling other people how to align their life with Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this passage, we don't align ourselves with the religious leaders and elders. No, we are to follow after the tax collectors and sinners and we are to repent and realign our life. Wherever we have drifted off to, we are to say, God, in what area of my life have I been like the second son? And then we need to repent and realign, repent and realign, repent and realign until my eyes are right on Jesus. And if I can't see Jesus, I'm not aligned correctly. And so to keep from drifting, I must continually align my life, every area of my life, with Jesus Christ. My values, they need to be in align with Jesus. My goals, they need to be in align with Jesus. My future needs to be in align with Jesus. My finances need to be aligned with Jesus. My relationships need to be aligned with Jesus. My possessions aligned with Jesus. My time aligned with Jesus. Every area of my life needs to be aligned with Jesus and I need to be able to see him. Because if I can't, I have drifted. And so that's why we need the church that's why we need fellowship and community with one another. That's why we need God's word and prayer to continually remind us and draw us back. And here's the amazing thing is as we align ourselves rightly with God, we realize that through the Holy Spirit, God has given us the authority to speak and to act on his behalf. See, it started out about a question of authority. But if you and I have aligned ourselves with Jesus, have made him Lord of our life, Scripture says that we then have the authority to speak and act on his behalf. And are we using the authority that he has given us? Are we using the power that he has given us to help others align their life with Jesus? You see, if I am living aligned with Jesus, there should be then a line of people behind me who are in a line with me who are aligned to Jesus. You catching it? We always need to come back to what is true, what is right, 
We need to come back to Jesus Christ. We need to align our lives with him. And if there's ever an area of our life that isn't aligned, it's not God who needs to change. It's I who need to change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it would have been easy to preach a simple sermon about authority, but Lord, to speak the truth of your word and how our lives have many times not reflected the tax collectors and the sinners, but our lives have looked like that of the religious leaders. And Lord, if we have become like that in any area of our life, will you take this time now, will your spirit dig in the recesses of our heart and make it clear to us where we have not aligned with you? And Lord, will you do the hard work of helping us fight the natural tendency of our lives to drift. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the cross, which continually gives us something to align our lives onto. That no matter the stormy gales that are happening in our life, that we can align ourselves to you. Because you are the solid rock. Lord, everything else around us, Lord, is sinking sand, but you are solid rock. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 